We're starting a new sermon series this morning uh, that we're calling Alive. Somebody say Alive. Alive. Well, you actually sound alive. That's good. You sound more alive than I do this morning. That's good. And the reason that we're jumping into this sermon series is because the last week we celebrated our one-year anniversary. And we looked back and we remembered what God has done for us. We heard specific stories about God's faithfulness to us. And now we kind of enter year two. Those of us who are married know that year two is different than year one. Uh, Year one often involves an extended honeymoon for married people. And, and then year two hits. Or for some of us, it was year three or year four or year five, you know. But at some point, honeymoon is kind of over, and you just get about the business of being married. I think that's a little bit where our church is right now. The honeymoon is over. We celebrate God's goodness. We heard stories of life change and God's presence last week. But now we, we get about the business of being the church. Amen? But the problem with this is that many of us have different expectations of what that means and what that should look like. So some of us grew up in church, and so we sort of know, like, well, this is what church is supposed to look like. But the problem is that Bethany grew up in a what kind of church? A Mennonite church. Like, there's people in this room who don't even know what Mennonite church is. I'm kind of one of them. Others of us grew up, like, in the Church of God in Christ or in a non-denominational or Baptist church. And so we're, our idea of what church should be like, it's, it's pretty different. Would you agree? We're not all on the same page. This does not look like a Mennonite church, right, Bethany? Right. Um, or, or we have, have folks in our church who are very new Christians or who wouldn't yet consider themselves Christian. And so your memory of church and the community of God is almost non-existent. You bring very little baggage to this. You're wondering, well, what, what is this supposed to be like? And then, of course, we talk regularly about the complexity of being a diverse church where we bring our own historical, cultural, ethnic, racial lenses to this thing. And that just makes it even more difficult. Anybody feel me this morning? We, we bring different expectations of what is church supposed to be about, what's supposed to be present here. And so uh, over the course of the next few weeks, we want to look at specific practices that we as a church can expect to be present among us. Does that make sense? It will in a minute, I hope. We're asking, in other words, what, what can we expect to experience? What can we expect to see? What can we expect to participate in as a church, as this church in Bronzeville? I, I want to clarify and say that we're not talking about what we should do. I want to I make this distinction. When you start a new job, I think most of us consciously or subconsciously, we're asking, okay, what do I need to do? Not what do I need to do to stick to my job description. That's usually pretty black and white, right? You do these things and everything's going to be okay. But when you, when you go to a new job, at least this has been my experience, you're asking, what do I do to fit in? What do I do to fit into the culture of this, of this job? Has anybody had that experience? Like, it's a different culture than the last job that you came from. So what do I do or what do I not do in order to kind of be a part of what's happening here? Um... The worst job I ever had in my life, hands down, was uh, as a groundskeeper during graduate school. And it wasn't because of the job itself. I actually, I had been a groundskeeper before. I liked it. I liked being outside. I liked mowing grass. I liked the fulfillment of seeing, like, I actually accomplished something at the end of the day. But this job was the worst. It was the worst because I quickly found out what I should do and should not do at this job. At this job, you should show up a little bit late. You should not work all that hard because you make everybody else look bad. At at this job, you should never challenge the assistant supervisor, no matter how idiotic his instructions were, no matter if he contradicted what the supervisor actually said, because if you challenged him, you would be uh, publicly humiliated in front of the other employees. Anybody? have experiences like this. I learned that at this job, you should not question whether your entire job would be on your knees, pulling weeds with your hands eight days a week for the whole summer. It's just what it was going to be. It's the worst job in my life, but I pretty quickly figured out this is what I need to do and not do to fit into this job. Most of us come to church, I think, asking similar questions. What do I do here? I think it's the wrong question. 
Because the church is not an institution. The church is not an organization. The church is not a company. It's not a job. There are maybe some institutional qualities about it, some organizational qualities about it, but the church, the Bible tells us, is alive. The church is a living organism. So Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, trying to describe to them what their new life is going to be like as they follow him, as they uh, maintain their allegiance to Jesus, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, and Romelia actually prayed this this morning, I am the, what? Vine. And you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. This is a living metaphor. Would you agree? This is not a dead institution. This is not a keep these rules or stay within this structure. This is, ah, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he describes it this way to the church in Corinth, what it means to be a part of this new thing called the church. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Again, this is not an institutional metaphor Paul is saying that to be a Christian is to be brought into something that's living, that's alive. Each one of us somehow is is, is grafted into this new thing. And Paul goes as far as to say that the church then becomes Christ's representation, Christ's body in the world. So for us to ask what should we do is maybe not the right question. Because we are part of this living thing, the question maybe is better asked, what can we expect to be present among us? Does that make sense? Yes, do this if it, just help me out a little bit. Okay, okay. Thank you, Darius. The church is a living thing, and so it's uh, uh, realistic, it's reasonable for us to ask how we live into this together. And so each week we're going to identify uh, a different practice. Uh, by the way, Amelia's preaching next week. For the first time ever. She's not here to even hear your clapping. That's why I'm whispering. She's with the kids right now. But you should come and, 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 and be here for that. Romelia is going to be preaching about the practice of community. We're going to be looking at the practice of evangelism, the practice of worship, the practice of prayer. These are all things that we don't try to do because that's what you're supposed to do. Instead, these are practices that as we observe the Scripture, we just say we can expect these things to be present among us. But the question then is how do we live into these things? Because what we find is that the practices that tend to be present among a a living body of Christian people are not practices that are necessarily normal to us or natural to us. In many ways, they are a stretch. They can be counterintuitive or countercultural. And so the question for us as we go through the series is if we are to expect that these things are going to be present among us, how do we together live into them? How do we take steps into them? Are you with me so far? Sabbath is where we start this morning then. The first practice that I would like us to look at together is the practice of Sabbath. Raise your hand if you've heard this word Sabbath before. Okay, that's helpful. Most of us are familiar with the word Sabbath. I I want us to start with Sabbath. And some of you are like, well, this sounds really like a boring place to start. And maybe. But I want to start with Sabbath, to again, to counteract our tendency to say, what should we do? Because in many ways, Sabbath is what we don't do. What we stop doing. So we start with Sabbath. Sabbath this morning. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word that simply means restfulness. The root of the word, pretty simple, means to cease, to desist. In other words, to stop. It's not a particularly complicated theological word. It it means stop doing what you're doing. And out of that comes this word Sabbath, which means restfulness. The first place that we find this in the Bible is very early on in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Now, we're going to be all over the Bible this morning, so follow along if you can. Take some notes so you can go back later uh, when you're discussing with your community groups. But in Genesis, God has been creating the world, and for the first six days, God creates, and then God observes what God has created and says, It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. He creates humanity and God says, it is very good. And then we reach the seventh day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. 
And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now this word rested is not Sabbath, but it is the root word that I mentioned. This is God ceased, God desisted, God stopped. So on the seventh day he stopped. Because on it he ceased. You see, this is the the first that we find the root of the word Sabbath. And this is going to be very important as we progress. The author of the book of Exodus, he looks back on this seventh day. He looks back on what God had done and then stopped doing. And, and, and the author of Exodus, he, he, um, he sees two results of God ceasing God's work. He looks back and he sees two things that, that came out of God stopping to work. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. The seventh day God rested. Now the word here, it looks the same as our Genesis word, but it's a different word. It's not the root of Sabbath. It's the word for rested. Now in in Genesis, when we see the word rested, this is God ceased. But now the word is actually God rested. This isn't stopped. This isn't ceased. This is God rested. So the first result of God ceasing God's work on the seventh day is that God rested. God stopped working, and as a result, God rested. Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. The Sabbath will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh he abstained from work and rested. Now, this word sounds like the previous two words, right? In Genesis, God rested. And in the first Exodus passage, God rested. And now God rested again. All three of these words are different words. Again, the first one is that God ceased. God stopped God's work. The second word is that God rested. And this word is God was refreshed. So the author of Exodus, he looks back on the seventh day of creation, on the fact that God stopped God's work, and as a result, sees Because God stopped, God both rested and God was refreshed. And you and I are created in the image of this God. You and I are created in the image of a God who worked for six days. This is not a sermon about work, but we need to at least acknowledge that work is good. God intended work to be good. Before there was ever sin, God commissions humanity to work alongside of God. God, every day that God works, he observes what has been accomplished and says, it is good. We are created in the image of a God who works, who does good work, and a God who stops working. And this too is good. You're created, I am created, we are created in the image of a God who highly values, who somehow, something about his character values work and values to stop working, to cease working, to desist from work. And so because humanity is created in the image of a God who stops working, it shouldn't be a surprise that God asks his people to also stop working on the seventh day. This reflects who God is. We know these as the, as the, as the commandments, the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment is the one about Sabbath rest, about taking a Sabbath rest on the seventh day. And we find this commandment in two different places, in Exodus and in the book of Deuteronomy. There's two different versions of the Ten Commandments. And in almost all ways, they're very similar. All the commandments are pretty much the same. But with the Fourth Commandment, two different rationales for its existence are given. So in Exodus, we find one reason for the Fourth Commandment, observing the Sabbath day. In Deuteronomy, we find another rationale. Let's look at this real quick. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Let me read the, the whole commandment for you here. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but, on the seventh, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Four. Okay, now this is the because, the rationale. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. It's a, it's a pretty simple rationale. God says, rest on the seventh day because God rested on the seventh day. Stop working on the seventh day because on the seventh day, God stopped working. This is the rationale for this commandment. In other words, when we observe Sabbath, we are reminded of who God is. Stopping our work isn't just stopping our work. Stopping our work brings us to the reality of who God is, of the nature of God, of the character of God. You with me? Here's the second version of this commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It begins in verse 12, but let me pick it up in verse 15 because the commandment is pretty much the same, but again, the rationale is a little bit different. Verse 15 begins, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see the difference? In the first one, God says, stop working because God stopped working. In this one, in this commandment, the rationale is, you used to be slaves in Egypt. And God brought you out. God rescued you with his mighty hand, with his outstretched arm. You're no longer slaves anymore. You are my people, my beloved children. The first rationale is, this is who God is. This is what God is like. The second rationale is, this is what God has done for you. This is what you are like now. In other words, the fourth commandment, when it's observed, brings us to the reality of the nature of God and our identity as God's people. You were slaves. You're slaves no longer. You used to have to work seven days a week. That's not true any longer. You used to be viewed as a commodity, but now you are my children, my people. fourth commandment brings us to the nature of our God and to our identity in our God. In other words, the fourth commandment is not just this random arbitrary rule, do this, don't do this, keep this. It's a reflection of the character of God and the identity of God's people. I want to say that Sabbath makes complete sense in a context where God stopped working and where God's people were set free. When these two things are true, if God really is a God who worked but then stopped working, and if God really set God's people free so they have a new identity, I want to say that Sabbath then is actually just a natural response to these two realities. If these two things are really true. But can can I say this morning that I don't think most of us Keep the Sabbath? I don't think I'm saying anything real controversial here. I don't think that most of us actually live into this rhythm of good work and good rest. We don't keep Sabbath. I think that most of us would be good with the other nine commandments. Or at least we'd like to think that we're good with the other nine commandments, right? Like we try not to steal, we try not to you know, lie, you know, try to honor our parents and do our best to avoid killing anybody if we can help it, you know. But for some reason, this fourth commandment, for some reason, it kind of gets just lost in the shuffle. It doesn't carry the same weight for us. It's just not, it doesn't matter in the same ways. How do I know that we're not so good at keeping the Sabbath? Well, for one, busyness defines our lives. Busyness is actually worn as a badge of honor for many of us. Test, test this theory out, like with people you know. Just ask them, or just listen to their responses when you ask them, how are you doing? And, and nine times out of ten, in my experience at least, there will be some thread of busyness that runs through their answer. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Things are pretty good. I'm a little bit busy, but you know, everything's going on. My job's a little bit stressful right now, but you know, I'm doing okay. It's going to come together. I'm pushing through my final exams right now. Well, midnight, you know, like blah, 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 blah. And it's, a, and it's like a badge of honor, right? Like, we've got to sneak it into the conversation. I need you to know that my, I'm, I'm important because I'm busy. People need me. People need my time. Like I'm busy. I, I think this is one of the ways that we can know that, that we don't live within this rhythm of good work and good rest, that we were addicted to, to, to busyness. Another reason, I think, is that we, uh, when we do rest, 
we, we find ways to excuse it, to rationalize it, to explain away our rest. Again, you can test this one out pretty easily. If someone actually tells you about a day off that they're taking, again, nine times out of ten, they're going to tell you why they deserve that day off. I, I've been working really hard. You know, I've been pushing through the end of the semester, and so I'm going to take a, a day or two just to, just to rest. I have a vacation coming up, so I'm going to have to work really hard before my vacation. And then afterwards, oh, I'm just going to be swamped. When we actually do rest, when we actually do stop, many times we feel like we have to rationalize it. I deserve this because I've been working extra hard. And the last way that I have observed the the fact that I don't think we observe Sabbath is that we, we burn out. It's a strange term when you think about it, burning out, but it's become very common for Christians to use. I've been a pastor long enough to have had this conversation with people too many times to count. People coming to me and saying, I cannot continue serving in this way because I am burned out. And I get it. I've been there. I've experienced that. So I'm, I'm rather sympathetic. Most of these conversations, though, are with people who are, 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 are smart enough, are paying attention enough to know that it's not like the rest of their lives is in perfect balance and rhythm and that it's just this church thing that's throwing everything off. No, no, life itself is burning them out, burning us out. And so something has to go, and oftentimes it's oh, this church thing or maybe it's another volunteer thing. But we, we burn out. Our lives, again, are not characterized by good work and good rest. And so we hit the wall at some point. We have language to describe this, don't we? I've hit the wall. I'm burning out. When you consider uh, this language of the fourth commandment, you might think, well, isn't this odd that Christians, too, are characterized by this hectic way of living, by this busyness, by this burning out? Shouldn't this be the exception for us? But it's not. So why? 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 Why is this the case? I've heard some people say, well, it's because we're, we're New Testament people. We don't live under those Ten Commandments, the Old Testament law. So those things aren't quite as important. We're, we live by grace. We've been freed from, from, from the law in this way. So let's for a second talk about how Jesus interacts with the idea of Sabbath. First, Jesus observes Sabbath. We're told in Luke chapter 4 that when Jesus is beginning his ministry, he goes to the synagogue. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus typically, normally it sounds like, worshipped, took off Sabbath, rested, was with God's people. This is where he begins his ministry. We see Jesus observing Sabbath throughout the Gospels. We also see that Jesus teaches about the Sabbath. Jesus was often in arguments with Pharisees who had a very strict legalistic view of what the Sabbath was all about. They had almost made the Sabbath involve more work than the other six days of the week, all these things that could not be done. And so one day Jesus and his disciples are walking through the field on a Sabbath day. They seem to be having kind of a leisurely stroll and conversation. They haven't eaten, and so the disciples pick some grains off the head of wheat, which was allowable, which was legal, so that they can eat something. And the Pharisees say, that's work shouldn't be doing that on the Sabbath. And Jesus then begins to teach about the Sabbath. In Mark chapter 2, he says to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was meant to serve people, was meant to benefit people, not the other way around. Jesus observes Sabbath. Jesus teaches about Sabbath. And then in the same Mark passage, Mark 2, chapter verse 28, Jesus goes on to say to the Pharisees, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus observes the Sabbath. He teaches about the Sabbath, and he claims his authority over the Sabbath. When you and I ignore the Sabbath, I think in many ways we ignore how Jesus lived, we ignore what Jesus taught about, and we maybe even ignore the authority that Jesus claimed. This is not something that Jesus just didn't pay attention to, that Jesus, Jesus didn't live into. This was, seems to be, in some ways, central for him. We're created in the image of a God who ceased God's work. We're created in the image of a God who builds Sabbath into the rhythm of, of God's people. 
We, we, we claim allegiance to the Son of God who observes Sabbath, teaches about Sabbath, claims authority over the Sabbath. So why in the world do we not live into this rhythm? Why? We could come up with a list of things, I'm guessing, other reasons. Probably pretty practical things about how our lives are structured. But I want to put just one in front of you this morning. I think the real reason that we do not live into this rhythm of Sabbath is that we don't really trust our God. Maybe a little simple. I genuinely believe that that the reason that in these very practical ways we are not living in this rhythm of work and rest is that we don't trust. See, the very first use of, of the word Sabbath doesn't come in Genesis, as we've said. It comes earlier in Exodus, before the Ten Commandments. It comes during the story of God giving manna to the Israelites. Do you remember that story? The people are murmuring. They're saying, oh, it was better back in Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. At least in Egypt we had food to eat, they said. They have bad memories, these people. At least in Egypt we have food to eat. And so God, through Moses, says, all your needs have been provided, and I'm going to provide for all your needs. And so God gives very specific instructions. He says, when when you wake up in the morning, go out from your tents, and there will be manna on the ground, this heavenly food. It's just going to appear for you. Collect all you need for that day. In the evenings, there will be quail. Collect all you need, but just for that day. Trust that there will be enough for tomorrow. God says if you hoard it, it's just going to rot. But then God goes on to say on the sixth day, unlike the other days, on the sixth day, collect a double portion of the food. And this will be the one day where the food doesn't spoil overnight because the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is a day of rest. This is the first use of the word Sabbath. It's not around any law. It's just God saying the seventh day, you are to rest. It's a holy day set apart for me. So you don't need to do any work on this day, God says. Collect once a day, trust that there will be more tomorrow, but on the sixth day, collect a double portion, and then don't even bother going out to get more food on the Sabbath because it's not going to be there. I will have provided enough for you on the sixth day. All the Israelites are asked to do is to trust, and all their needs will be provided for. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them decide, I don't know. So they go out, and there's manna, and isn't this amazing, but is it going to be here tomorrow? Is there going to be enough tomorrow? So they, they take more than they need. They stash it in their tents. I don't know how you store manna. I don't know how people, they don't have Tupperware refrigerators, but somehow they store it. And do you remember what they wake up to the next day? What? Maggots. It's absolutely disgusting. It's rotted, and it's full of maggots. It's no good. It can't be eaten. They haven't trusted that God was going to provide enough for the next day. Others of the, of the Israelites, they, they wake up on the Sabbath day and they look at what they kept and they wonder, is it going to be enough? Would that be enough to sustain you? We better go out and get more. They step outside their tents on the Sabbath day to find nothing. All they're asked to do is to trust the God who has provided for them, who will provide for them, who is miraculously providing for them. And yet, and yet, and yet. We are not all that different from the Israelites. The reason that most of us are so good at working so hard and so bad at resting, I think, has mostly to do with the fact that we don't really trust that God will provide for all of our needs. This, to me, is the hard reality of the Sabbath. On on its surface, it seems like, wow, this is amazing. One day off every week, that's great. I think the hard reality of the Sabbath is that it exposes whether our beliefs are actually true or not. The nation of Israel, they could claim, yeah, we're God's people. God rescued us, and yeah, we trust God. But how much manna did you take? And did you go out to get more on the Sabbath day? This is the hard reality of stopping to work, is that we're forced to confront, do I really believe that God will provide for all my needs? Or do I think it's actually up to me? The good news is that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. 
This is why when Jesus claims authority over the Sabbath, it's so important, I think, for you and I. Because religion, even a Christian religion, says that it's important that we work really, really hard. We work really hard in order to be acceptable, in order to be loved. There's always things that we need to do. And so we can never be done working. We can never be satisfied with the work that has been accomplished. And when this is true, it's almost impossible for our identity to not become tied up in what we do, in what we accomplish. We become defined by our activity by our job title, by our accomplishments. This is how we understand ourselves, how we see ourselves in the world. This is religion. Jesus comes along, though, and he says, I've already done the work for you. I've already accomplished everything of significance that needs to be accomplished. I freed you from your identity being tied up in what you think you need to do. You have a new name, a new identity. I think this is behind Jesus' language in Matthew chapter 11 when he says to the crowds, come to me. Do you remember this? All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The idea of Sabbath, of stopping, of resting is in a sense right at the center of the gospel. Not a peripheral sort of thing. It's not a law that we should try really hard to get. Somehow, it's right at the center of the gospel that coming to Jesus in some way is giving over our burden, giving over our tendency to work and to be identified by what we can accomplish. Because Jesus takes our burdens, our sins, our false identity, our need to be accepted, our our, our need to, to cover up our shame in order to be loved, because God takes all of these burdens to the cross, We come to see that there is one worthy of our trust. I want to put my finger on this for us, if I can, for just a minute. Because if, if I'm right, if the story of the manna is, 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 is a story for us, and trust is really our issue here, then it's, it's imperative that there is someone worthy of our trust. if at the heart of our inability to live in this rhythm of work and rest after the pattern of our God really has to do with trust, then who is trustworthy for us? And I want to say that, it, that it's Jesus. I want to say that Jesus in offering to take our burdens and then putting those burdens to death is the only one who is actually completely and totally worthy of our trust. Anybody? Amen? If Jesus is worthy of our trust, then we can begin living into this rhythm of good work and good rest. So that as Paul says, when our, when our hearts condemn us, when we hear that voice in our head saying, you haven't done enough, you haven't crossed enough things off your to-do list, you haven't fixed yourself enough, you haven't finished that self-help book yet, Jesus comes and says, I've already done it. I've already accomplished it all. When the voice condemns us and says, you will not know who you are if you stop. If you take a day, if you stop doing what you do, you're not even going to know who you are. You're not going to have an identity. How are people going to know whether to be happy with you or not? Praise you or not? Jesus comes along and says, you have an identity that transcends what you do. You have a name that transcends what you can accomplish. You have an identity that is no longer tied to what you do, but to who you are in me. Does this sound like good news? This is not a sermon, though, just about us as individuals. This is a sermon, this is a series of sermons about what we as a church can expect. How do we live into this practice of Sabbath together? After all, Sabbath was not God through Moses coming and and meeting with different individuals saying, now kind of live this way and live into this thing and it will reflect who God is. This was a word for the people of God. Live together in this rhythm of good work and good rest. When the Israelites were living this way, they were a visible expression of trust in God to the world. See, here's the thing. We can sing all the songs we want, preach all the sermons we want, say all the nice things in community group that we want. 
But if there are not visible expressions of our trust in God to our neighbors, to the city, to the world, then I think we need to ask, what God are we following? If our trust in God is not on display for the world, then it's reasonable for us to ask, do we actually trust at all? Sabbath is one of these ways that we demonstrate to the world we have a provider. We have someone who we have complete trust and faith in. So what does that look like for us, church? Uh, Tyler has a few different slides that we're going to put up here for a minute. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want to put some things in front of us this morning. Ways that as we as a church begin to live into this rhythm of good work and good rest, as we have a Savior who addresses our trust issues, we will begin to experience, I think, some very specific things together. Let me suggest a few of these. Number one, our work, at least one day a week, is going to stop. Is that rocket science? Some of you, like, need to tune me out for the rest of the sermon. Because just that right there, the idea of stopping work for one day a week is just freaking you out right now. I, I can't do that. I absolutely cannot do that. This is where it starts for us, though, church. As we become convinced that Jesus Christ is trustworthy, as we become convinced that our identities are no longer tied to what we do, it's reasonable to expect that one day a week we stop doing. It's reasonable to expect that our pattern of life together reflects a God who worked for six days and then stopped. Why can't we? The thing about this is that most of us have to be on board for this to work. I, I had a conversation many years ago at a different church with a, a, a mother, and, and she had three elementary-age uh, school children. And at the beginning of the summer, she said, you know, typically I put my kids in all these programs and activities all summer long and doing lessons of different kinds. They're just all scattered kind of th- over, throughout the city. She said, but that's not how I grew up. I grew up just kind of romping around my block and playing with kids and getting into trouble and, you know, these kinds of things. So I want my kids to have that experience. So we talked again at the end of the summer, and I was really curious, like, how'd that go for you? she's like, it was horrible. Because my kids were the only ones who were around. All the other kids on the block were in programs, were off doing activities and lessons of different kinds. And so they, they like each other, but, you know, my kids wanted to hang out with people besides just their siblings during the summer. She said, I'll never do that again. You, you see what I'm getting at? See, if Christine is the only one who, who lives into this rhythm of ceasing work and the rest of us are kind of frantically doing our thing, we have no witness, corporate witness of trust to our city. Christine bears witness in her own life, but the rest of us, our corporate witness, it, it's non-existent, you see. Okay, number two. Rest and refreshment. This is, after all, what... God experienced, it seems. Of course, whenever we talk about what God experienced, we're careful in how we talk about that, right? But the scriptures seem to indicate that that by ceasing rest, God experiences rest and refreshment. And this seems to be what we're expected to know as well. Does that sound good to anybody? Anybody need some rest and refreshment? Anybody? Mm. Man, does this sound good to me. Ice cream? Someone say ice cream? Refreshing ice cream. Hey, you have ice cream on your Sabbath. That sounds great to me. One of the things that we can expect to be more present in our church is that we're a more rested and refreshed group of people. And maybe that starts just like in physical rest because some of you are just worn the heck out. You are not sleeping enough. So maybe it's just that. Maybe it's just like physical rest. <laughs> but maybe it's even deeper than that. Maybe it's a soul rest and refreshment in who our God is. I think this is a very reasonable expectation as we live into this rhythm of work and rest together. As we experience this rest and refreshment, I think the time begins to be redeemed for us. Most of us, most of the time, treat time as a commodity. 
How much can I get out of this day, out of this hour, out of this minute? Bethany, parents, out of this second when my child is sleeping. How much can I get out of this time? Carlos isn't in here. I'm going to tell a story anyways. He and I were meeting yesterday, and he's like checking his emails on his you know, Blackberry cell phone, and he, under his breath, he goes, man, if I just had 30 hours in the day. Anybody? If I just had 30 hours in the day. I need more time. I need to get more out of my time. What happens when we stop and we experience rest and refreshment? You know what happens? We begin to realize that time is not a commodity for our own use, but time is a gift from God. That every single minute and second and hour is a gift. That none of this is promised to us. None of this is guaranteed to us. That every day that we have been given, no matter what we put in that day, is a gift from God to people who God loves. Time is redeemed as we live into this rhythm, as we experience rest and refreshment. Oh, and let me say this. I'm speaking mostly to myself here, but to all of our leadership In order for us to know this rest and refreshment, we've got to be really wise by what we do on Sundays. See, Sundays is is going to be Sabbath for most of us, right? That's just kind of the day that works for us to live into this. And if we as a church are going to experience kind of worship and rest, it's going to mostly be on Sundays. So leaders, we have to be really careful about what we do on Sundays. I'll be straight up. My tendency is to pack as many meetings with you all into a Sunday as possible because you're here. Like, I try to schedule a meeting with some of you. It's like a three-week process because you're too busy. But, that, you know, you know. Or, or, or I look at a, at a video of another church, and I'm like, well, they got like a 50-person choir. And they have all these amazing outreach activities and, and events and programs going on for kids and for you. I'm like, we need to do more. Church, we have to be really wise. Leaders, we have to be really wise about what we do and what we don't do on Sundays. Our measure of success will not be how much is going on. How active are we? Are we worshiping together? Are we experiencing God together? Are we being formed up in Jesus together? Amen, anybody? Yeah. Okay, number three. Corporate worship and gospel preaching, for lack of a better word. I need to say this because most of us are kind of conditioned so individualistically, I know I am, that when I hear talk about rest and refreshment, you know where I am in my head? Tahiti, on a beach, with like a mojito in my hand and a book. That's, that's, oh, that's restful, that's refreshing. No, that's a vacation, that's what that is. Nothing wrong with a vacation. So much of of the books of the law in the Old Testament is given over to explaining what happens on Sabbath. I mean, you read through some of these books, like, wow, there's a lot of detail about, like, you know, the, the, the cloths that get hung in different places and how these things are going to be ornamented and the liturgy and how it's going to be. You know what this is? This is all about corporate worship. This is all about how the, the community comes together one day a week on a, on a Sabbath day and worships God. There's, a, there's an incredible level of detail in the Bible about these things, about how this people is going to worship together and be formed by God's law, by God's scriptures together. So it's important for me to say this because when we talk about a Sabbath rest, we're not talking about just creating a vacuum in our lives, kind of a black hole where stuff can just get sucked into. No, we're talking about a way of living together and worshiping together. Now, of course, it involves plenty of rest, plenty of downtime. This is, you you know this about you, you know these kinds of needs that we have, but we worship together. Coming, up, coming together to worship, it's not this kind of additional interesting thing that I should do, maybe do. When we do this, we do this. This is our witness of trust to the world. This is our opportunity to be reoriented to who God is, a God who works and then stops working, to be reoriented to who we are, a people created in the image of God, a people with a new identity in Jesus. Does that make sense? Number four, number four hospitality. Okay, this one may seem a little bit of a stretch. I think that we can expect to be a more hospitable church as we live into this rhythm of of work and rest. Right now, we have a hospitality team. I'm very thankful for them. And we have community group leaders. I'm very thankful to them. But think about this for a minute. We have a team of people to do hospitality, to be hospitable, to be nice, 
That's, that's a little odd, right? We have a team of people whose job it is is to invite people into community, to experience community. What are we acknowledging? That we're not all that good at it. That community doesn't come natural to us. Why? Why? Because we're just too busy. Because even when we show up on Sunday, our lives are so crammed with stuff, right? We're not really fully present to one another. We're not fully present to the visitor that is here with us or the stranger that just kind of walked in the door or the, the need that has surfaced. Oh, that person's in the hospital. How can I respond? And so I, I, I want to say that as we live into this Sabbath rest together, hospitality just becomes kind of ingrained in the life of our church. We become a hospitable people because we are aware of each other, because we're present to one another as we worship God. Amen? Okay, here's the last one. Maybe this seems like a bit of a stretch too, but justice. Justice is, 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 is seen in the, in the two versions of the fourth commandment. Uh, if you'll remember, the, 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 the instructions are for the Sabbath rest to be observed, not just by those who claim to be Israelites, but for everybody. Anybody under the influence of the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath rest. So foreigners, servants, even, even, even their, their animals. Everybody under the influence of the Israelites as they go through the wilderness is to observe this Sabbath rest. Why? God says because you were slaves at one time. Because you were treated as a commodity at one time. Because at one time you were seen only by the value that you could give somebody else. Because at one time you had no dignity in and of yourselves. God says, so now as you observe this rest, as you observe this this reflection of your creation in my image, it is for everyone. My guess is that if our church were to be living in this way together, if we were to be working really hard six days a week, taking a day of rest, we would become aware of those around us who don't have the ability to take a Sabbath day. Now, I know some of you think you don't have the ability, but you do. <laughs> you think you're too busy, but you, I, because that's me. That's how my life is. But who among us, who in our culture, who in our society does not have that kind of intrinsic value, intrinsic worth? Who, who, who in our society has been commodified in this way to see, well, this is we, we, we get from this person. This person is valuable in our culture, in our society for what they can give, what they can contribute, not for just who they are. are you, is this making sense to you? Are you following me here? So justice becomes not this like, oh, I need to do this kind of thing. It's, no, we're living within this rhythm, and then we become aware of those who are not able to live this way. Those whose dignity, in a sense, has been taken from them. I'm hoping that you can add to my list. It's certainly not extensive, but I wanted to give you very practical, specific things to show you that when we're talking about Sabbath, we're not talking about just stopping something. We're talking about living within a way that demonstrates the gospel of Jesus, our trust in God to the world. And when we do this, I think we can expect some very specific things to bubble up in the life of our church. Uh, Worship team, go ahead, come on up. We're going to sing one more song together. Does anybody have any questions? Like an odd thing to ask at church. Kind of a small group today. June seems to be like our quiet month as a church. Do you have any, anybody have any questions or any thoughts about what we're talking about? Really? The next practice, next practice, community. Romelia is going to be talking about what it looks like to live into community together. Interesting comment. Can you talk a little bit louder so everybody can That's good. You should have told me that earlier. Oh, you did. You told me I forgot. That's good, Tyler. Anybody else? Thoughts, observations, questions? Emily. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. I was, I was studying Sabbath this, this week. I, this is the craziest thing. So, like, when you think about this, we serve a God who says, rest. I mean, it's so counter, I think it's so counterintuitive to our hearts to think that what God asks is not that I do more and try harder and be better. It's, no, stop. I, I mean, how, how crazy is that? It, it, it makes no sense to us, I think, outside of the nature of who God is and who Jesus is. I think it's only then that we can begin to, to see why this actually makes sense for us to live this way. What else? What else? This is like, interesting to me. Bethany. So I have three hours of free time a day. Because Bethany is a mother with a very young child, right? Primarily, that's kind of, yeah. Right. Totally makes sense to me. I, I've I've done my best to observe Sabbath for a number of years now. Um, and between usually it's between two and four o'clock. Uh, I just I hate everything. <laughs> um, and it's still true even after these years that my identity is so tied up in what I do. Um, and so so my my shorthand. For helping me observe Sabbath, because of course you guys know, like pastors, it's difficult to do Sabbath on Sunday, you know. So I try to do it a different day. Um, the shorthand for me is is nothing productive, because I know my heart, and 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 I I I get my value from being productive. If I'm productive, I feel good about myself. I can check things. I, I mean, I will write things on a list that I've already done, so I can cross them out. Because that makes like I'm neurotic in this way, you know. But there is this every single week, and I know it's coming every single week. There's going to be this two-hour period where I'm confronted with exactly what you're saying. I'm tied up in this, and this is, what, this is who I am, and how am I going to, you know what I mean? What else? Other thoughts? Ideas? Ideas? Any good ideas about how to live into this together? Creative thoughts? Imagination? Are you thinking anything, Tabitha? Are you, think, are you thinking anything that, that would benefit our church? I don't want me. If, it's okay if not. Right, right. Yeah, I like that. That's good. I'm guessing that idea of wasting time, like for some of you, like, oh, <laughs> I can't do that. Anybody else? 
Yeah. And I'm guessing worship was a part of that, right? Like that, that's part of the, the, the party and the celebration, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Other ideas, imagination, ways we live into this? Don't be shy. Don't be shy if you have something. I'd love to hear it. Brent. Yeah. 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 So this is my sense, and others others chime in as I'm studying this. And and, and I'm I'm the wrong person, right? Because I'm the guy who doesn't observe Sabbath on Sunday. Sunday's a work day for me. Um, so yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I I do think that that's appropriate. You know, when Sunday look, there are people whose job just requires them to work on Sunday. They just have to, right? So, but there is something lost, and I feel this personally. There is something lost when we are not observing this together. There, there, the language in the scripture is, is to a group of people. It's to, it's to a, a community. It's really not to just a collection of individuals, right? So again, like I totally feel you, and I think, yeah, there, there has to be allowance. This is, Jesus is clear about this. Sabbath is not to be a burden. It's for our benefit, right? So it's not, it's not this legalistic thing. But I do think it's worth us asking, how, how can we live into this together? You know, and maybe for some of us, we're not able to fully set aside Sunday. Um, so, so then the question is, and, and, and maybe even in our church, Brent, you're part of a community group, right? Maybe it's like, okay, community group, how do you come around me in this? How do you invite me into Sabbath so that I'm experiencing this rhythm as well? That's a super practical question. Does anybody else have thoughts about that? I know this is maybe not where you thought our sermon was going, but... Me neither. <laughs> so, anything? Yeah, Tyler. That's right. Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, 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 that's good. Anything else? Scott? That's right. Festivals, right? (laughs) A lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
Right. Right. Right, right. Right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, right. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I, when, one of the things I, I was studying this and preparing for this is just confronted over and over again by how counter this is to I say this regularly, but the air that we breathe six days a week. Um, I mean, we, we, we put on pedestals people who work 80 hours a week, right? We read stories about these people, and isn't it amazing what they've, you know, so like, when we talk this way, it can feel treasonous, really. It, it can feel like an affront to sort of how things are and how things are supposed to be. And I think when it does feel like that, we might be on the right track. We might, we might be taking some steps into the kingdom of heaven. Ah, uh, man, that was the best part of the sermon right there for me. So I really appreciate you all being willing to chime in. Uh, and, and let me just kind of, I, I wanted to say this. We're, the, our church is one where we, we need to be having these conversations together. We need to be influencing each other in these sorts of ways. Maybe it can't always happen during the sermon, but in our community groups or in conversations or in space on a Sabbath as it begins to expand for us, let's be listening together to to God and, and, and who he's calling us to be and, and, and how he's calling us to live together. So would you stand with me? Let me pray for us, then we're going to worship uh, together. So, so Lord, we, we ask that you take these thoughts of ours, these um, sometimes half-formed, um, still coming together thoughts, these ideas that we're trying to formulate from your scriptures, uh, these, these, these notions of what it means to live together as your people, a people called out, a people redeemed by your son, a people who are no longer tied to what we can accomplish, a people who have been given new, beautiful, eternal identities through your son. Show us what it looks like, God. Show us what it looks like to live as this kind of a free people, a people who was in bondage, but who are now free people who were created in the image of an incredibly creative, hard-working God, but a God who stopped and new refreshment and rest. So God, we need you to form us. We need you to, to pull us into the kind of people you desire us to be. We need you to birth these things in our midst. We can't force these. We can't conjure them up. We can't work real hard to make these things happen. We need you in your power, in your presence among your people to make these practices, this practice of Sabbath, one that is honoring to you and sustaining to your people. So we pray that you would do this work. God, we are, (laughs) as best we can get our minds around it, we are grateful that we serve a God who calls us to himself by offering to take our burdens by not requiring us to to work harder, to do more, but by offering to take everything that has weighed us down and burdened us down. As as best we can, God, we're amazed at the gift and the invitation of Sabbath. So I pray that our hearts would rejoice in this this morning, that we wouldn't be condemned, that we're not doing it right, that we're not observing Sabbath, that we have failed in the past, but would we instead be encouraged and, and know the joy of a God who calls us into this beautiful, life-giving way to live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
So enjoy your Sabbath today. And maybe start thinking about how you can enjoy your Sabbath even more in the coming weeks and months and how we can. If you can stop by, let us know if you're going to order some t-shirts. No hurry. Hang out, stay around, help us clean up a little bit if you can. Sign up for our membership class. And now, Lord, I pray that you would send us out under the guidance and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, everything is just theory unless you breathe life into it. We can talk about your Bible. We can talk about who you are. We can talk about you. We can sing song about you. But unless you breathe your power into it, God, it's just words. So Holy Spirit of God, we pray that you would empower us for the life you've called us to live whether it's the work that you've called us to do or the stopping of the work that you've called us to do. Continue to form us as individuals in a church to a community of people who reflects a deep trust in our creator God to this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.